Hello everyone, 7 Investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the 7 Investing Podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers, who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other 7 Investing fans in our exclusive subscribers forum, where we discuss the latest market moves in real time, go to 7investing.com slash subscribe to subscribe to 7investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 7investing podcast. I'm JT Street with the 7investing marketing team, and I am here with Simon Erickson, the CEO of 7investing. And today, we have a bit of a Halloween ghost story for you, or at least a, a spooky story. Uh, we're going to be going through ASML's recent quarter, which, if you are following that semiconductor stock, was, well, fairly terrifying, or at least the market took it that way. So, Simon, hello. How are you today? Are you uh, are you prepared for this? Uh, do you have your flashlight set up? Are you are you ready to go? Are you, you know, ready to join the mystery machine here? I'm ready to get spooked, JT. Let's go. Okay, so... Take us through ASML's recent quarter to start us off, and, and what was it exactly that spooked investors? Well, yeah, I mean, ASML, just to kind of set the scene on this, is one of the world's most important companies, right? This is a global monopoly on extreme ultraviolet lithography. Now, that's a mouthful, but it's basically the equipment that's necessary for making the most important chips in the world. And of course, this is a hot topic. Everyone's talking about AI. Uh, a few a couple fewer people are talking about how do you actually make the semiconductor chips to keep up with the demands of AI. And ASML is kind of that company. It's one of the world's most important companies because it's producing the lithography machines that are making those very, very, very small transistors that are going to the cutting edge chips that are powering AI. And so super important right now, uh, we've seen a lot of its, its customers, which are the chip making fabs uh, that are being built by Taiwan Semiconductor, that are being built by Samsung, that are being built by AMP, by Intel, uh, really take off this last year, right? This was a fantastic year for the chip making industry. We saw Taiwan Semi just announced that they were going to be building two new fabs right outside of Phoenix, uh, a combined $20 billion for that project. They were going to be spending another $11 billion US dollars uh, for a new fab outside of Germany. Intel has committed up to $40 billion, potentially up to $100 billion for a massive fabrication facility in Ohio. And again, this is all kind of, um, this is, so to speak, a land grab for domestic supply of the most cutting edge chips in the world. You can't be dependent on everything coming from Taiwan anymore. There's geopolitical risks over there. We'll talk about that a little bit later here on this show. But really, there was just kind of a rush to get as many fabs as you possibly could build in as quick amount, in as fast of a time as possible. And of course, the most important piece of those is this global monopoly that ASML enjoys which is extreme ultraviolet lithography. So it's a great year for ASML, right? You, you've got the only machines in, in the whole world that can accomplish this. Um, you've got AI kind of being this giant tailwind for your industry. And you've got all of your customers saying, hey, how quickly can you get these $150 million machines shipped to us? But the spooky part is that there was kind of a slowdown in forward bookings for ASML. When, when we just got the most recent report here, uh, you went from a year ago, they had upcoming bookings one year ago from today of 8.9 billion euro, right? Fantastic. Everybody's trying to order as many, as much of this machine, these machines as you possibly can. 
And then when we looked at the, the forward bookings for the most recent quarter here, it was only 2.6 billion euros. Now, that's still a boatload of euros, but when you consider it being down from two-thirds of where it was a year ago, I think that's what really spooked the market. And we kind of sold us, I saw a sell-off, excuse me, saw a sell-off of ASML shares in response to it. Looking at the CEO statement of the third quarter, they basically said that the gross margin was over 50%, higher than their guidance. And they said that the third quarter sales came in at 6.7 billion euros, which is about right smack dab in the middle of where they said they were going to be, right where they were in Q2. So you're seeing a, a company here that's, that, like you said, is having a good year, doing well, and is updating shareholders on what they're seeing coming forward. Uh, I, I guess my, my question here is, what do you think is causing the drop? Is it, is it something, because there, there didn't seem to be anything with the company itself that was even a yellow flag in, in any of their guidance or, or in our research. So, so what do you think is, is leading to that 75% drop in forward bookings? And again, this is all about expectations, right? You know, what is the market's kind of short-term expectations for what's going on? You see a drop in bookings is so dramatic versus a historically really, really good year that the 2023 was. But again, you know, maybe there's a little bit less enthusiasm, less euphoria about 2024 versus 2023. And I, and I think that that's justified, uh, but it doesn't mean that there's doom written for ASML. I mean, this is a company that JT... It had a 56% return on invested capital this year. That is insanely high. If you're borrowing money at 9%, you're getting 56% return on that. That is immediately creating a lot of value for your equity shareholders, investors like us. And so this is the kind of business you want to be in. We saw a dividend that steadily grew. The dividend was up. Uh, they, they bought back some shares, increased the dividend payout by 5%, reduced the share count by about 1% during this last year. This is a company that cannot even keep up with the demand for its own products and, and is showing no signs of competitive pressure uh, that, that's threatening its global monopoly. The other thing that I think that was really, really good news was the announcement of its newest, latest and greatest machines um, are, are now in production right now. These are the TwinScan EXE lithography machines. They are high numerical aperture, high NA machines, if you want to call them that. And they're double the price point of the previous EUV machines. What this means, and in layman's terms is if you need to make very, very small wavelengths of light, because you're wanting to etch out very, 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 very small transistors of smaller than two nanometers in size, uh, you, you need to do those so that you can get as many connections as you possibly can on a single integrated circuit. And so Intel and Taiwan Semi specifically, as the demands of these chips get greater and greater, they've got to get smaller and smaller and more densely and densely packed. And again, this is just kind of the next evolution of, of decades of research that's getting even more impressive. And I think that as those machines start rolling out of production and into customers' hands in 2024, uh, that's going to be yet another transitional year for ASML because you're just going to see a boost to margins and a boost to sales. Intel's already contracted for the first one of those to roll off the lines and is very excited about getting their own new manufacturing process technologies up and running. So, yeah. Recapping everything that I just said, you know, yeah, maybe a little bit of short-term spookiness for investors, but everything that I see long-term, the investment thesis for ASML is still very firmly. Well, and, and that's why so many times when these 
short-term or, or knee-jerk reactions happen in the market, you look in and you, and you try and zoom out and say, okay, well, this is happening now. People are selling now because they have the attention span of gnats. But even in the CEO statement of the third quarter, transition year was there. And it says, and I'm going to quote this here. It says, based on our current perspective, we take a more conservative view and expect a revenue number similar to 2023 and 2024. But we also look at 2024 as an important year to prepare for significant growth that we expect in 2025. So I get it. CEO readouts and in, in, <laughs> in these reports, you always take with a, I don't know, somewhere between a grain and a dump truck of salt, right? Depending on who the CEO is. But if we're taking that at face value or saying, okay, semiconductor is a cyclical industry, right? Right now, everyone seems to be somewhat agreed that we are in the trough, right? Of a cycle. Demand's weird. The landscape's weird. The Fed is making borrowing difficult. There's reluctance to push into innovation too, too much, too fast, right? That everyone's just kind of treading water. And when, when I, when I look at these kinds of opportunities and say, okay, well, if I have, if I have the stomach and I, and I have the patience and I don't need this money for the next three to five years, then am I getting a company like ASML, which by all accounts, solid company, good vote, no one's going to be, you know, taking them over anytime soon. Am I getting them at a, at a, you know, sizable haircut? or something that three to five years now, I'm going to be really happy about. Well, yeah, we are going to be, you know, the business itself is, is doing fantastic. Competitive position is doing fantastic too. Maybe to go back to the question about, you know, what's spooky out there, there's different degrees of spooky in the world, right? There's a certain degree that's ghosts are spooky. Uh, a level significantly above that is mold remediation. Your home is spooky, but then the really, really big spooky is, is the China and Taiwan relationship, right? I mean, this is something that, is kind of this long tail risk that you can't, you can't get rid of as an investor is, you know, China thinks that Taiwan needs to be part of China. They want to reunite with it. And of course, all of the manufacturing for the most cutting edge chips that's being used across the entire world is, is produced in Taiwan. And so there's two things going on with this. Uh, one, Taiwan Semiconductor is forced to build more and mo more manufacturing outside of Taiwan. Um, you saw that, you know, they, they've kind of pushed out the Arizona fab because they couldn't get enough skilled labor. At least they're claiming that in, in the U.S. Uh, they need they need more dedicated employees to, to that, are, that are really, really skilled at building out these fabs that they haven't been able to get yet. They think that's going to push it out by about a year. And then the Germany fab, you know, you just think that's an $11 billion project, but then you realize the labor laws and the regulations in Europe are very different than they are in Taiwan. It's going to be a much more expensive fab to run than it was uh, that they're used to, you know, on their own island out in Taiwan. And, and so this is kind of a new game for Taiwan Semiconductor. They're going to have a little bit of a difference running fabs in the United States or in Europe than they have been at, at home. And then the second thing is that the geopolitical tensions that are rising right now, right? The Biden administration just said that, you know, um, you cannot sell NVIDIA's eight, uh, A800 chips, uh, H, the H, H800 and the h excuse me, the A800 and the H800, both used for AI inference, cannot be sold into China right now. The U.S. doesn't want China to be cutting edge in AI. And so they're they are banning the sale of certain chips going to China. And of course, ASML is impacted by that too, because if you have a certain country that demand is just off the table, 
that's influencing the demand of their customers and, and who they can sell to. So you've got kind of this, this giant cloud that um, outside of the business itself and the competitive position and the, you know, the 50% margins and the 50%, 56% return on investor capital, all that's fantastic when you're an investor looking at things. But then the political part of this is a little bit hazier, right? a little bit harder to see through these clouds on what exactly is going to happen, right? Is China going to invade Taiwan by 2025? Is uh, all of Taiwan Simi's fabs going to have to go to other countries if they can't build domestically anymore? I mean, things like these do not have easy answers. Everyone's crystal ball is a little bit cloudy uh, when you're asked those kinds of questions. But it, it's it's kind of this industry is is plagued by those hard to answer questions that could influence at the very, very tail end of, of the risk there. It could have a huge impact for ASML. Yeah, I think I might have lost your microphone feed. I'm not sure if you're able oh, to hear can me. Can you hear me now? No, no. Yeah, there we go. go. Sorry about uh, that. My, yeah, go ahead. my question was, yeah, my lips were moving, but nothing was happening. Um, I was trying to read lips, but I wasn't succeeding. <laughs> our, our listeners are not as good uh, at that. So um, where, where do you think ASML is in their story right now? Because if I look at their charts, right, right now, even year to day, right, they're, they're still up. Right? If, you, if you bought January 1, 2023, you're still up a little bit, 8% or so, even after the recent drop, right? If you bought it a year ago, you're, you're up about 20%. You bought it five years ago, you're up 251%, uh, 258%, sorry. And then if you bought it, you know, in like 2000, when it was 50 bucks a share, you, you've 10X since then. But, but if you bought in 2000, there was a period of about 11 years where you were underwater, right? And so when, when we talk about holding for long-term, if you bought January 1, 2000, you had to wait till 2012 to break even. And then it was still another five years before you 2X. And then now 20 years later, you've, you've made 10 times your money. So they've had a really big pop in the last, let's say three to five years, right? Like right before the pandemic, uh, they were doing pretty hot, right? And then it's, and then it's more than doubled since then it was tripled in, in the peak of the pandemic. So, so where do you think ASML is in their growth story? You know, have, they, have they hit their, their big exponential rise like we've seen with so many tech and, and semiconductor companies? Are, we, are, are, they a, are they a dividend heavy giant? now where where you can just park it and and have fairly consistent dividend growth with, without a whole lot of of super volatility or you know is 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 there something to the scare here you know this is a 234 billion dollar company right so this is not a small cap that's going to shoot to the moon you're going to see some cyclicality because the semiconductor industry is cyclical and you're going to based on what, what price you want to buy the stock at could, could influence your returns, certainly based upon that. But again, again, if you look at the valuation on this, you know, pick your metric you want to follow for ASML. This is like one that get, gushes plenty of cash flow. And so I tend to like to look at, at price versus cash flow, perhaps price versus free cash flow, because there is so many capital expenditures. But, you know, this is selling at 29 times cash flow, right? Um, that's acceptable for me. You know, that's a 3.3% yield. 
on your your cash flow that this, this business is generating right now. Uh, I, I think that it, you know, when you consider that on top of that, you're getting a pretty good price, you're getting a pretty good dividend. They're buying back shares every year. Uh, this is not your rocket ship to the moon company, but if you want something that lets you sleep at night, that's good investment and you can hold it for 10 years. This is one that I have no concerns about being disrupted. Everyone would like to disrupt this business, but it's also really expensive to build these machines. And it's really, really hard to get these customers who they've been doing business with for decades, even if you were able to make something better, to actually win them over from the process they've already become so comfortable. So ASML to me is a buy and hold. I mean, one of the most innovative, one of the most important companies on the planet. There is no shortage of AI in the next 10 years. Uh, this company is, is, is locked into its competitive position. I'd be very comfortable as a shareholder. In that mindset, what do you think is happening on a broader scale in the markets that is making these, these types of moves happen, right? We, we see, you know, it, things like this happen to me as a, as a relatively new trader, I see it all the time, right? You've got a company that's lost 30% of its, of its book value or sorry, not book value, like 30% of its share price since July, right? Like in, in kind of where the market, you know, has faded as a whole since July, but these kind of knee jerk reactions in the market, where do you think that comes from? If, if we're right, I mean, there's nothing actually wrong with ASML. Well, again, you, you've got kind of, you know, the cutting edge extreme ultraviolet we just talked about. There's another, there's another subset that it sells called deep ultraviolet, not, not quite as extreme as UV, but this is the stuff that's going to China that is a little bit more at risk. Um, and, and again, that, that is, you know, risky that that's the stuff that is kind of spooking investors right now. Big, bigger picture too. I think your, your question was, it was geared at, you know, the macro when, you know, interest rates are higher, capital is more expensive, ASML spending about $500 million a quarter call it two or $3 billion a year on capital expenditures. And so they've got to raise money to, to pay for that as well. Uh, if not take just cash off the balance sheet to pay. So, I mean, this is, this is an expensive industry. Semiconductor manufacturing and lithography machine and manufacturing is expensive. Um, it, it, it's not so easy to just, you know, flip a switch and all of a sudden you can produce more machines. Uh, even if you do invest in the right people, in Arizona to, to produce, the, you know, the right people in Europe to produce them in, in Germany and all these different locations that their customers want to invest in. Then all of a sudden we know it's a cyclical industry. What do you do when times are, are a little bit slower? You're not getting a 56% return on invested capital because you've got a little bit less utilization out there. I mean, there's, there's, there's different factors that kind of influence this on a year to year or even two to three year basis. Uh, but again, and that's not how we do investing. At seven investing, we're not thinking about things in one or two years. We're thinking in terms of at least three to five years, and that's why the company like this is so attractive. Um, you know, over three to five years, I think you're going to be. Most investors have been very pleased with the returns of ASML. You know, if the stock price is a little bit lower, reinvest your dividends. You know, go back and buy back more shares at a bargain price as they continue to pay you more and more every year than a dividend. Where do you put ASML in the semiconductor basket? You've got Taiwan Semi, which, you know, it's also something of a monopoly out there. You've got your, your more consumer oriented semis, like, you know, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, it, you know, those kinds of companies that are, that are, you know, actually 
people who are you know into computers would, would know more and see you know they're the ones on the hardware uh where do you where do you rank asml I, you know it, where do you position them in, in this in this industry yeah in the supply chain they're they're, they're um supplying the uh fabrication equipment right these there's companies that are designing the chips and then there are companies that are making Yes. So the designers, those are the AMDs, the NVIDIAs, you know, the Intels, the brands you recognize that are, that are making the chips that are doing these really, really complex computing. You know, they're, they're doing the computing for the algorithms that are tied right to the models for AI. But then to, they, they don't want to make those chips themselves with the exception of Intel. Uh, for the most part, they contract those out to the foundries. These are the companies like the Taiwan Semiconductors out there. Intel now wants to give some manufacturing capacity to others to make other people's chips. And so it's those companies are the customers of the ASMLs. And then when they go out and they announce a big fab, you know, Taiwan Simi says, they're going to spend $20 billion on a fab. Intel says they were going to spend $100 billion on an Ohio fab. There's a lot of equipment that goes into those. And a lot of people that are required to get those up and running too. They're huge projects. They take several years to build. And then uh, ASML, because it's got a lock right now, they're one of the specialized suppliers of equipment to those fabs that are being built. And so bigger picture, you know, you, it doesn't matter to ASML and to Taiwan Semiconductor if, uh, if it's NVIDIA's chips or if it's AMD's chips or whoever's chips are, are getting put into the data centers that are running the, the, the computing for the, for the end users. Uh, they're, they're just going to make the, they're just going to use the equipment. They're going to make the equipment that's used to produce those chips. And Taiwan Simi wants to load up its production lines uh, with the best margin profile that it possibly can with customers. And at the end of the day, you know, the companies that are using those, whether it's Apple, whether it's the data centers from Microsoft that are running those AI, you know, open AI's algorithms, every time you ask a question online, uh, it's still being made by chips from a handful of companies out there. So that's why I think it's, it's locked as a, as a competitive position, you know, JT, things happen quickly in chip design. Um, you know, we've certainly seen a, a changing of the guard, if, if you will, of the, of the chip designers of the last couple of years, but very, very hard to, to produce a foundry and very, very hard to produce the equipment that goes into those. So there are a couple of layers up on the layer cake, right? So, or, or, or down, right? Towards the base. You've got the, the high end up here where it's, it's very flashy, right? You've got software up here, even higher, right? And then you go down, down, down. Taiwan Semi and the, and the gang down here. And then a, a run below that on that foundational level uh, is ASML. If you'd like to think about it as how locked in are you with your customers, right? Like we think of competitive advantages, like how hard is it to displace you? Uh, most software vendors have low or non-existent competitive advantages. You know, you can probably easily rip out a lot of software you're using pretty easily and just replace it with something else. But if you're wanting to provide hardware for, for equipment that's required for a fab, not easy at all to, to change suppliers for something like that. So it started out spooky, but in the end, doesn't seem like there's a lot to fear. We've turned on the lights and the ghost that we thought we saw was really just, I don't know, bed sheets blowing in the wind or, or an open window. I don't know where bed sheets blowing in the wind. I don't know. I'm getting poetic tonight. Um, so final thoughts, Simon, anything else on ASML? 
No, just, you know, I think that, you know, the sell-off and the kind of the reaction we saw from the market, I think that they did get spooked by bookings. I do think they did get spooked by China, you know, the ban on uh, certain ships going to China. But for me as an investor interested in long-term, you know, three to five years, I'm not too overly concerned about any of that. All right. Well, if you're interested as an investor in long-term investing and want to follow the kind of strategies that Simon and I have been talking about here, we've actually created a little booklet that you can use in your day-to-day investing, something of a buy guide where uh, Simon and the team of advisors here at 7 Investing have broken down the strategies that they review before making that crucial buy decision to put money into a company. So very much like we did here with ASML today, where we went through and kind of read through, parsed, you know, the initial reaction and then looked a bit deeper. Those are the kinds of strategies that you'll get with our buy guide, which you can get for, I think, a dollar right now uh, by joining 7investing as a trial subscriber. So you get your your first week for a buck and you get the buy guide. So you've got something to just kind of hone and, and sharpen the edge of, of your trading blade. So if you're interested in that, that's at 7investing.com slash buy dash guide. We'll also put a link uh, underneath here when we when we drop this podcast. So Get the buy guide, give 7investing a try. You'll get our recommendations each month. You'll get access to our advisors and their monthly calls. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can ask us questions about ASML and other companies in real time. And you'll also get our deep dive videos where we go through companies like ASML and really kick the tires and say, is this something where we feel comfortable holding long-term? So at 7investing.com slash subscribe, you want the buy guide and 7investing.com slash buy dash guide. We'll put all those links for you. And we hope to see you soon as a subscriber on 7investing. Uh, for Simon Erickson, I'm JT Street. Thank you so much for listening to us today. And at 7investing, we empower you to invest in your future.